You know, as women age, um, we become very aware that we feel invisible, but it's not just the way that other people look at us. It's also the pressure we put on ourselves to stay in the game and deal with this ageist society. And, you know, all of the um, images of women who are over a certain age, they're, they're negative. They're, um, I guess I would even go as far to say it's they're derogatory because women going through perimenopause and menopause, I mean, we're not the old croons. Actually, we're the JLo's, we're, we're the Jennifer Aniston's. Those women are in our age group and we certainly don't look at them and feel like they're invisible or redundant. So it's time to turn the conversation around and start helping women to understand that just because we're going through a change in our life called perimenopause and what even is that, um, we are still very sexual beings. We are still very active. We're, you know, we're vital. We're revitalized even sometimes once we hit this period of our lives because we have shed so many things, one of them being tampons and pads and the other being the fear of wearing white year round. Anyway, I am so excited because I have been talking with Irene Hogan, who is the author of a book called Hot Chicks, Hot Sex, which is your bedside guide to everything you need to know about your decreasing libido, vaginal dryness, your sex drive going down the toilet, and how you can change all of that and become back to your typical sexy self. Um, Irene is a pharmacist and she's been working in women's health for over 20 years. Um, so she is such a great source of information for, for you and I at every one of us who is experiencing a loss of libido and trying to understand just what is going on down there. So tune in and have a listen to Irene Hogan. Hi, Irene. Hi, Jackie. Wonderful to be here with you. It's so nice to see you again. Um, it's it's funny that we're doing this on a podcast now because you and I spent the last couple of weekends on a stage uh, at the Everything to Do with Sex show and the Women's show. And Irene, you were a huge hit. So I just, how could I not have you on the podcast? <laughs> Irene, I want to talk about Sex after 40 and what's going on down there today. And just like we talked about at the show, I think there's so much great information that you have that you're going to share with my audience. So I want to know one thing. Is every woman going to go through perimenopause? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> um, and, and let's explain to our listeners what perimenopause is, because I yes. think everybody thinks menopause and just shuts down and says, oh, <laughs> that's for old people. It's going to happen at some time, but I don't really need to know about it. But perimenopause just is about 10 to even 15 years. So women are experiencing it in their late 30s, their early 40s. And what it means is just around the time of menopause, it's before the menopause when a woman's periods actually stop. And your hormones are erratic. And so you are starting to see some symptoms and a lot of women don't recognize that. And I think that's the issue as we found out when we were doing our um, stage talks is uh, women are not talking about it. Their healthcare practitioners are not talking about it. And so they're very confused and they really don't know what's going on. It is such a confusing time. And, you know, um, 
everyone knows the word menopause. And if they don't by now, you might, you know, be living under a rock. But perimenopause still seems to be that area that not even all um, healthcare practitioners acknowledge it as an actual thing. Um, when I was personally going through it, I had just had my daughter. And I think I told you this, I was at a, a girls night drinking wine. And it occurred to me that I hadn't had my period in a few months. And so I went up to her washroom. She'd recently had a baby. So I knew she would be stocked with the EPTs, the early pregnancy tests. So I took one and I wasn't pregnant. And then I was like, what the hell? I'm not pregnant. And then I realized, oh yeah, I'm not even having sex. If I was pregnant, I'd be on the cover of Newsweek. So then it occurred to me that my libido was kind of on its way out. Like what the hell is going on? And that was really when I started to piece the everything together and realize something was changing in my body and my brain. And I think that's a real shame. I think most um, young people are now told about puberty and the onset of their periods. Um, maybe not so much in my generation. We weren't told a lot about it. We got some classes in biology about it. But I think that the females are much more aware of that now. Unfortunately, we're not getting the message out about perimenopause, which is when our periods do start to change, as you mentioned. And then there's yeah. other little things that women don't often realize. And when they come to see me, I go, you know, when was the last time you sleep? You mentioned about the libido, like, you know, joy of joy, sex is not on our radar anymore. I think our sex drivers sort of got up and lost its gears. And we just don't realize that's happening. And so if women start to become informed about it, you know, tracking your period is one way of doing it. And just realizing some of these changes that are going to take place before they actually enter menopause, then I think we'd, um, we'd get better through it. It's not just about symptoms, but it's being aware of how your body is going to change and, you know, what you should do about it. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one thing you and I have come to agree upon is that menopause sucks, but it doesn't have to. And so I want to, can you, can you kind of talk about what are the most common symptoms? And, and I, I do want to just sort of add in here, perimenopausal symptoms can carry on into postmenopause, like hot flashes and everything. I mean, those aren't things that go away just because you go 12 months without your period. I think that's another common myth. And I think we're not saying that menopause is a disease. It absolutely isn't. Mm -hmm. It's a natural process. It takes a while to go through it. But I often have women saying, you know, when is this going to end? When does menopause end? It doesn't end. It's one day. You haven't had your period for a year. That's the official definition. But you're still in menopause for the rest of your life. So we really need to be aware of it. You know, we need to be aware of things like um, chronic disease, like um, disability, things that happen as we age. And it's not all doom and gloom, although we absolutely know from listening to women and hearing them that that's what they think. And that's what I think the common um, view is on menopause, that women are basically have no value. And I think we, you know, I told you about the seven doors of menopause. So that's itchy, bitchy, sweaty, sleepy, dopey, bloated, all dried up. And so <laughs> those are some of the symptoms, but there's lots of things going on as our hormones wane. And we need to be talking about that. We specifically know that the vaginal dryness, some of the issues that happen there, the things that do happen with our sex drive, you know, doctors are not talking to women about it. They're embarrassed. They're ashamed. 
they're not comfortable talking about it and they don't know who to go to for help. So there's a lot of things. I mean, definitely the sleepiness um, women will be woken up with night sweats. We know that they're having the hot flashes during the day, but not every woman is going to have every one of those symptoms. Although we know um, that a roughly 80% of women are going to have some sort of symptoms. They may be mild, they may be severe, but we used to say to women, and unfortunately we still do, you know, just live with it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've heard women literally being told to suck it up. But it's not if you're waking up, you know, at night and you can't sleep, you don't perform the next day. If you're having hot sweats every hour on the hour, you know, how do you perform at work and that too as well? And so we know that some of these symptoms are very severe for women and they can last for 10 years or longer. So no longer saying living with it and suck it up, baby, is an appropriate response from a healthcare practitioner. No, it's completely unacceptable. One of the big issues I see is that it isn't just our healthcare practitioners, our doctors, our OBGYNs that we're not talking to. We're not talking to each other either because we are all under this impression that, you know, um, being in perimenopause or menopause makes us redundant, makes us invisible. And that's because there's so many stigmas and taboos around the topic. Can you talk to that? And yes, um, I'm, you know, telling women all the time, you know, that we need to talk about sex. We need to talk about dry vaginas. You know, I was once on a radio show and told that they really weren't comfortable with me talking about vaginal dryness. And we could we changed the name of the word vagina. I don't exactly know how else you would refer to that <laughs> we get to rebrand our vaginas <laughs> and we and i think the other thing is we don't it's not even just a vagina you know we talk about the vulva we talk about the labia okay but we're not doing that so it's great that we can talk about it now but women do feel shame about it they don't want to talk about what's happening to their body you know their body is changing we've talked about the fact that they're not sleeping they're not interested in sex they're often having relationship problems. And women over 50 and sex really isn't hitting, you know, the front of the the newspapers or social media now. It's coming definitely more. We're hearing more about menopause as Pacific and personalities, you know, are talking about it. But it's the fact that we don't talk to women about it. They don't know who to talk to about it. It's the fact that we don't have value. We don't have feel confident. And yet at 50, you know, so many women are in the top of their professions. They have a lot of value, but we associate this aging, you know, the fact that we've got a few more wrinkles, that our body shape is just changing and that, that we don't talk about libido and sex. So really we don't have worth and we don't have value. And women often buy into that. Um, And I think that's a real shame because we're going to live for, you know, 30, 40 years as a menopausal woman. So if we dismiss, you know, sort of a third of the population, I mean, that's really going to be hard on society and it's going to be hard on the women too as well because they have a lot of value. We also need to take care of their health needs. We need to be aware that definitely we're aging so our health can change and we're missing that. We're missing the fact that we don't explain to women that with menopause, it's not just the symptoms, but you're at increased risk of diabetes, you're at increased risk of osteoporosis, you're at increased risk of the number one killer of women which is heart disease. And yet we're not getting that message out. So we're missing it on all points. 
Absolutely. And I think this is a really important time to arm women with facts instead of fear. Um, You had some interesting stats about women uh, going through this phase of their life, um, how they felt about it and how prepared they felt they were for this. Uh, Can you share some of those? Yeah, I think there's some crazy statistics, you know, that when they research and as I say, we're maybe a little bit better now, but they found out that, you know, 80% of women hadn't even heard of the um, word perimenopause. So we know that women, you know, are often not listened to. They're often told that they're too young when they do bring up the the subject in the doctor's office. You know, I have so many women that say, I'm sure it's my hormones. There's something going on with their hormones and they're dismissed and that too as well. And I think we're still, there was a big study called the Women's Health Initiative, which is now, I think, celebrating its 20th year anniversary. And that study came out with a lot of negativity and found that, you know, women had more um, risks and benefits. And we've took with hormone replacement therapy, but we now have looked at that study and seen that it was older women. They were often unhealthy. They were obese. We started hormones in women at an age when we wouldn't normally start them. So we've actually turned that research about on its head. And so both of the North American Men's Society, which is in the U.S. and the Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists in Canada, say that for most women, and this is after consultation with the healthcare practitioner, hormone replacement, the benefits far outweigh the risk. And yet we've still got practitioners and women that are scared of hormones and absolutely could get a lot of relief, not only from symptoms, but prevention of chronic disease like osteoporosis and diabetes. So, and we've also got the stats that um, physicians don't want to talk to women about their sex lives. We have no problem, you know, talking to men about erectile dysfunction and putting them on the little blue pill. But when women go to a doctor, they often don't want to embarrass their physician. And they also have this um, belief that the physician is not going to be able to offer them any solutions. And often that is the case. So I think that's really sad that women say, oh, okay, I'm going to live for the next 20, 30 years without any sex in my life. And that's your decision, what you do. But it often can be cause of uh, breakups and, and relationships and divorces. And often I think if women had known about menopause and what happens to their body and that there are treatments available, I think, you know, maybe some of those marriages would have been saved. Well, I think, you know, one thing that we definitely don't talk much about is the fact that while, you know, I or you might be going through menopause and, you know, you're experiencing discomfort, vaginal dryness, et cetera, it's not all on you. I mean, those conversations have to stay open between you and your partner, and there has to be an understanding on both sides so that there can be support and you know, communication is critical in all relationships. So if you're not talking about it and you're going through it and you feel like you can't speak to your partner and your partner doesn't know what you're doing, they just think maybe you're turned off of them and or, you know, there's a problem in your relationship. And it's something communication can fix, but it's not something we really emphasize with women and their partners. No, and I think it's so important and key when we do do women's health evenings that men do come out with their partners or women came out with their significant others so that men and, you know, their partners can understand what's going on. I think we don't realize how powerful, you know, sex hormones are. 
And so, as I say, I mentioned in perimenopause, hormones are very erratic. They're up one minute, they're down the other. So women may have symptoms for a few months, their periods may come back for a few months, and then things change again. And so the symptoms go away. But once you hit menopause, so you're no longer, your ovaries are no longer producing those hormones, then we know that those hormones, in fact, you know, uh, our urinary tract, our vagina, our brain, our skin, our teeth and our gums, and, you know, our central nervous system. So women do experience mood changes and they experience vaginal dryness that we discussed about too. They notice changes in their skin. And I think a lot of women are not aware of this. They don't realize what's going to happen to them in menopause. And yes, you need to be having an open conversation with your partner about what's happening to you because so many men have said, oh, once I understood what was going on, it made it easier. You know, women, as I say, are ashamed, they're embarrassed, you know, they think they're going crazy. And then everyone else around them says, you know, what on earth is happening to the woman in my life? One of the things that I found really fascinating when we talked at the show was you know, once we do start to understand that we are going through a change and something's changing, you know, in our brains and our minds and our perceptions and our bodies, um, that's great. But we need to have a more in-depth understanding of where, how, like, how does our desire change? I mean, it feels obvious to me, but I think it's because I talk about this day in and day out, but, you know, what happens to our sex drive and what are some of the things outside of like what's just happening to our bodies that are impacting that decrease in drive? And um, it's not all doom and gloom. So let's dismiss that. You know, some women actually see a, an increase in their sex drive after menopause. So not the, you know, the main hormone we talk about um, is testosterone, but we absolutely need the other hormones, you know, Estrogen affects our, our mental function. It affects, as I say, lubrication and moisture. So, but testosterone does have a huge increase um, effect on women's um, sexual drive. So it's not only in men, it's in women too as well. And so, as I say, some women, testosterone will stay where it is. Some women, their libido is totally fine. But in other women, that testosterone drops. And another is women that have had surgical menopause. Um, who have gone through menopause because of chemo or radiation. So if the ovaries have been removed or your ovaries are not working, women often don't realize that testosterone really drops precipitously. And they're not told about that. And that can drastically affect women's libido. And as I say, testosterone is not just a sex drive. It's for mental function. It's for strength. It's for muscle strength too as well. You know, I have a lot of women that say, well, I'm working out and I still can't seem to be, gain muscle. So it affects our metabolism too as well. And we know weight is an issue in women that go through menopause. So not everybody's libido is going to go down. But as I say, up until recently, there has actually been no solution. So, you know, we don't have a little blue pill for women, although sometimes um, we do use that in women. It's used off-label. But now we know that there are solutions. So there is both... Um, DHEA, which is a vaginal insert that can be used for women's libido and sex drive. We also know that there is an oral medication that has just been released here too in Canada. So there are solutions. And I'm a compounding pharmacist. So again, we have um, compounds that we make specifically for women to help with libido, to help with women that, um, you know, can't um, have an orgasm or something like that too as well. 
And also, you know, as a pharmacist, I look at medications that can affect women's libido and sex drive. A lot of women um, during perimenopause and menopause are put on antidepressants. They don't realize that some of these can affect their sex drive and libido. So that is something that women need to be aware of. There are other medications as well. So as I say, not everyone's libido going to go down, but it definitely is an issue. And as I say, it's not just related to one hormone. It's all the hormones that go down um, that affect our sex drive and that too as well, that there are solutions, there are things that women can do. But as I say, when you don't feel comfortable and you know, physicians are not talking to women about this or bringing the situation up. I've had so many women suffer needlessly and all they needed was a good moisturizer and also some vaginal estrogen. And they haven't been offered that by their physician. And they're not aware of what I call vaginal health and having to use things like vaginal moisturizers on a regular basis. And they're not educated about that too as well. Okay, so I have a few questions for you. First of all, when you say the little blue pill, do you mean Viagra? I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, secondly, uh, I am not alone in this. Um, anyone who's asked their doctor about um, testosterone uh, has been met with, well, do you want a mustache? And I already have one. So, yeah, I do. Um, but, <laughs> but, I guess that comes from, you know, the same issue where doctors aren't fully armed with the information, but it seemed like when I asked about testosterone and if that might help me, because I have no libido right now, I, that was the first thing that I was met with was, do you want facial hair? Do you want extra body hair? Like, how about the benefits? Um, so the third thing is, um, you talked about the moisturizer, which is super important because just like our face and our bodies, we have to stay moisturized. But what is the difference between, say, like moisturizer and a lubricant? So there's two um, topics that you brought up there. One is testosterone. All women have testosterone. All men have testosterone. Men just have it at 10 times the quantity. So it's all dependent on dose. And so, you know, the side effects that you're given can happen, but they're rare and they're dependent on dose. And both organizations, both in Canada and the US, have a screening for what's called hypoactive sexual dysfunction disorder. So again, I don't like this dysfunction because it sounds as though we're a, a computer or we're a car and there's a part of us that has gone AWOL and just needs to be replaced. And that's not the case. But testosterone can be used in women that are suffering from a lack of um libido or sex drive, as it's called. It can be tested. It's used off-label. It does need to be compounded because there isn't an official um, product available commercially for women as of yet. There was a patch available, but it's never been available in Canada. And it can be used from for women, but it's at a smaller dose. It's applied to the skin. We also sometimes apply it to the woman's clitoris too as well because it can help with um, lubrication and helping women with orgasms. So that's let's just, you know, dispel that myth that women can't use testosterone and if they do, they're going to grow a mustache or they're going to have hairy legs too Thank as well. Thank you. <laughs> so it can be used. It's just a matter of getting a doctor that is willing to prescribe it or going to a specialist that is, you know, educated and proficient in hormone replacement therapy for women 
which is not just estrogen and progesterone. It includes testosterone and also includes DHEA2 as well. So let's dispel that myth. And then let's talk about moisturizing lubricants. Lubricants make things glide. They reduce friction and they're used for, you know, toys. They're used for intercourse and they're used for other things. And we also need to really look at what is in our lubricants um, because there are a lot of ingredients in there that you would never want to put in on the labia or in the vaginal area. Basically, I say if you wouldn't put it on your face, you shouldn't put it on down there. And there are things like parabens, propylene glycol, glycerin, and other things that are toxic to the tissues in the vaginal area and the labia. And then there's moisturizers, and the same applies for moisturizers, although a lot of women don't realize the difference. So moisturizers moisturize. They improve the moisture that's in the vagina because as women lose estrogen, it does tend to dry up. It becomes um, fragile. Some women will have um, bleeding with sexual intercourse and that too as well. Some women experience chafing, the constant irritation, and they may have urinary tract infections. They may have vaginal infections too as well. And this is because um, it's changed with the lack of estrogen. So you need to add moisture and you need to add moisture on a regular basis, just like you would use moisturizer on your face. You need to use moisturizer down there, as I say, on the external labia and also internally in the vagina. And a lot of women are not told that and they end up with issues in that too as well. You do not have to be engaging in sexual intercourse to have to use a moisturizer for your vaginal health, but it definitely can improve that. And I've had many women that, you know, enter a new relationship and are not told about that part of needing a moisturizer. And then we have to go through the whole education of using vaginal dilators um, so that they can have comfortable sex. And many women, again, are having painful sex too as well because they're not made aware of this issue. And then you can use the moisturizer on a regular basis, and then you could also use estrogen. So estrogen vaginally would be used two or three times a week, and then you'd use the moisturizer in between. But as I say, we need for women to understand that they need both moisturizers and lubes, and they need to use it on a regular basis, and they need to look at what's in those moisturizers and lubricants. It's such an important point, Irene. Like, I think there are a lot of women who are resigned to painful sex for the rest of their life because they want to stay connected to their partners. Um, but it's such a tricky situation because if you imagine that, say, you're losing your sex drive. Maybe you're not in an actively sexual relationship. I mean, lots of us are married and maybe we're not having sex. Um, and if you don't realize that your libido is dropping and all of a sudden you're not having a pap smear for three years, you don't feel that change happen inside of you until a speculum goes in there or yeah. a vibrator or a penis like then you're like, wow, that hurts. And that by that time, as you know, you've probably maybe got some atrophy or something. And now you've got a lot of work to do to fix the problem. And just so you can get back to having, you know, a healthy sex life. So I'm glad that you have talked about the lubrication and the moisturizer and the difference and why we need to understand that. But another um, critical thing is that it's not just about physical sex and making it less painful. Sex in general is really good for us. Would you agree? 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I think you came up with the thing, you know, use it and lose it. And that's totally true. Um, as I say, as our hormones decline, you know, and for women, we know it's not just about the sexual act itself. It's everything else. You know, it's it's our physical, it's mental. We know that sex is good for you. Sex is actually good for aging. You live longer if you have sex regularly. Um, but it's also about all the other things too as well. So it doesn't have to include intercourse it's the relationship that goes with it it's the mental feeling too as well it makes women feel better and too as well it raises that hormone called oxytocin which really makes us feel more lovey-dovey you know and and want to cuddle and be touched and that too as well so sex is crucial it's about relationships as i say and we don't have to actually be having intercourse you know, for some women, you know, and even their partners, you know, if they have male partners, that sometimes becomes an issue and they say, what can we do? I think we need to talk about that more. We need to look at, you know, what resources are available for women to talk about that too as well. But it's an important part of our life and it makes us feel good too as well. And you mentioned, you know, that so many women are having painful sex, but you know, I, I hear from women that feel say, you know, like it just feels like sandpaper down there too as well. You know, it's so painful. It's so dry that they can't have intercourse. And the fact that we're not talking to women about this, just it really, really saddens me. And, you know, we talked about that little blue pill. And I always say, you know, to couples, well, if you give the man the little blue pill, which is Viagra, as I say, that doesn't help the woman with her sex life. Okay, so what's the point if your woman is having, you know, painful sex and that too as well? So we need to look at that. We need to discuss it. We need to get rid of those taboos that, you know, women are, you know, older than 50 and in menopause aren't thinking about sex. They are, but there's a lot of issues in their way and there's a lot of problems and they're not being offered solutions. Absolutely. And it, you know, taking away that sexual feeling that is really tough, I think. That's the toughest part. You know, as soon as you feel like you can't feel sexy, that just, that's like an attack on your femininity, you know, your person. So I'm really glad, you know, that we are talking about this. Um, I also really appreciate that you don't refer to it as our sexual dysfunction because it is not a dysfunction. <laughs> but, you know, Using that word just because I haven't got another word up my sleeve at the moment. I'm also losing all my nouns because of my brain fog today. What yep. What are some potential um, treatments? You know, I know we've talked about lubrication, um, dilator, vibrator, but, you know, there's other treatments that are not necessarily vaginally focused. No, as I say, there is a, a new oral treatment, which is a pill that you take every day that can help with sexual libido. We have also just um, got DHEA, which is another hormone that can be used vaginally. It's been uh, available in the States for a while, and that has been shown to help with lubrication and moisture, but also help with um, sexual drive in women. And sometimes we do use... Um, the equivalent of Viagra as a topical cream for women because women need circulation in the clitoral area too, just like men do. Um, and then sometimes, as I say, we're looking at medications that women may be on. So it might be a matter of changing the antidepressant to one that doesn't affect sexual libido and sexual drive. 
definitely addressing the issue of vaginal dryness by the regular use of moisturizers, using tons and tons and plenty of lube if you are having sexual intercourse and for toys and that too as well. I think the introduction of vibrators is also good for women too as well. You know, there was such a lot of shame and embarrassment about that, but I'm glad that that now is becoming more out into the open and that there are more, more people talking about that too as well. We did a focus group on vibrators and the women afterwards, when women get in a group and realize that they're not just experiencing those symptoms, everyone else's, it makes them feel more normal. And after that focus group, I remember them saying, oh, I didn't know so much about vibrators and what they could do. And so they were more interested and they weren't afraid of, you know, trying them and sort of going into some of these stores. And there's so much online now, too, as well. We can get information about that and finding someone that you can talk to about it. You know, if you are suffering, don't um, reach out because there are, you know, sexual therapists. There are resources online that, you know, that you provide to as well. I know that we can trust and that women can go and learn about these things too as well. So there are solutions and definitely, you know, for painful sex, there are other things that we can use too as well with help with that. But let's get to the bottom of the problem. Um, you know, sometimes women don't realize that everything is changing down there. So I often, you know, talk to women not only about moistures and lubricants, but, you know, good probiotics for vaginal health. That's another thing we don't talk about. And I think in general, we just need to be opening up this conversation. It doesn't need to be all pharmaceutical based. We need to realize that women are going to live for 30, 40 years. So we want to live healthy. You know, as I say, it's no good living till 100 if you're going to be sick for 20 years of that of that lifespan. OK, we want a healthy lifespan, not just to live longer. So there are lots of solutions out there. We need to be talking about it. Yeah, it's the quality of life. That's, yes. you know, we deserve this in our life. And just because we've lost our ability to, you know, be fertile shouldn't mean we, you know, everything else has to change with it. And I think, you know, as soon as women catch on to that and start to feel more sexually positive about their life after menopause, I think we'll see a shift in that whole perspective and even the conversation around women's sexual health after 40, after 50, after 60. After 70, after 80. 70, 80. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> until we're two feet in the grave. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> um, Irene, just before we wrap this up, can you just tell me a little bit about your book, which I have on my shelf with a highlighter? <laughs> I know. That's what women tell me. It's by their bedside. And they've highlighted all these sentences and the and the chapters and everything. So as I said, I did write a book. It's called Hot Chicks, Hot Sex, How to Survive Menopause. And yes, there's information on sex, but there's information on everything to do with menopause and perimenopause. So some of the solutions, I'm trained in herbal medicine and nutrition and lifestyle. So it's all in there. And if you go to my website, www.irenehogan.com, you can download a copy for free. It's available for Amazon and you can also purchase the book itself. So you can highlight it. It is the bedside guide to sex. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, thank you, Irene. That was incredibly insightful. I love these chats with you. Um, even though you and I have talked on this topic a few times, I feel like I still come away learning just one more thing every time we chat. So thank you so much for joining me. 
Thank you. And as long as we can continue to help women out there one by one, then I think we're doing a fantastic job. <laughs>